Hello, and welcome to Sustainable Business Fridays, hosted by the Bard MBA in Sustainability. My name is Stephanie Milbergs, and I'm Assistant Director of the program. Before we launch into our conversation with Jeff Amascato of Shake Shack, I want to provide some, some background about the Bard MBA. We are one of a few programs globally that fully integrate sustainability into our curriculum from the ground up. We are a low residency program where part of our courses are taught online and the other portion are taught over long weekend residencies in New York City. We are a deeply experiential program with first year students partaking in a course called NYC Lab where they work on real world sustainability challenges for clients. In recent years, clients have included UBS, Unilever, and Lockheed Martin. This year, we are working with Con Ed Solutions, HSBC, and Enward Point, a startup. I will now turn over the conversation to our MBA student host, Mariana Seza, who will introduce Jeff. Thank you both for being here today. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Uh, Jeff Amascato joined Union Square Hospitality Group in 2004 as a front of house intern with the opening team for the restaurants at MoMA. In 2007, Jeff joined the Union Square Hospitality Group corporate office as the purchase, Purchasing and Systems Operation Manager. During this time, Jeff was involved in the opening of the second Shake Shack in 2009 and others in, 2000, uh, pardon, in 2008 and others in 2009 and 2010. In January 2011, Jeff joined the Shake Shack team full-time as Director of Purchasing, the role expanding in 2012 into Director of Supply Chain, responsible for purchasing, culinary, and quality assurance. And in 2015, Jeff was promoted to Vice President of Supply Chain and Menu Innovation. Before coming to Union Square Hospitality Group, Jeff spent a year as a line cook at Jean-Georges, a culinary internship at Le Cirque 2000, and a culinary apprenticeship at Ristorante San Domenico di Amola in Amola, Italy. Jeff holds an AOS in culinary arts and a BA in food and beverage management, both from the New England Culinary Institute. Uh, so, Jeff, thank you so much for being here. Obviously, those are sort of the technical uh, bullet points of your background, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, your history, how you got on, got into this space, and what you do now. Well, good morning, and thank you, uh, Stephanie and uh, Mariana. Uh, good to be here. Uh, well, it's afternoon for you, but uh, morning for, for me over on the uh, West Coast right now. Uh, so, yeah, um, you know, my background actually started uh, a lot, Earlier than that, I was uh, grew up in a family where we just did a lot of cooking, uh, and, a, and an aunt of mine actually had a, a cooking store in school in uh, North Jersey. Um, and around like seven years old, I started taking cooking classes, and uh, just fell in love with with cooking. And you know, this was just around the time that Food Network was really just coming around, and chefs uh, were becoming more popular, and uh, Anthony Bourdain's book, uh, Kitchen Confidentials, came out, I think, when I was in high school or something. So it was, it was right before that point where it became very mainstream. Uh, and I knew that I just wanted to, to get into food somehow. It's the only uh, business I, I was interested in and uh, just like to be around food and like to be around restaurants. Um, so, you know, as soon as I was able to work, I was working in a, a restaurant as a busboy in New Jersey and uh worked my way uh, into the kitchen, figuring this is more fun than being out in the front and clearing dirty dishes. I'd rather be putting uh, nice food on the dishes instead. Um, so all through high school, I was uh, working in, in, uh, in restaurants and uh, working in the kitchen more so than the, than the front of house. And, you know, knew, uh, you know, going out of high school that the only 
business I wanted to go into was restaurants, and uh, that's what led me up to to New England Culinary Institute um, up in Vermont. And you know, quite honestly, they're skiing up there, so <laughs> I chose that route uh, versus uh, some of the other schools. Uh, but got a really great education up there um, because it was very hands-on. And uh, what was really important about that education to me was the practical. Uh, application through their internship programs, which, uh, as Mariana mentioned, I did uh, my first one at LeCirc 2000. Uh, that was in uh, early 2001, and uh, I got really great experience of, of seeing what New York City fine dining was like. Um, and then a second internship, actually through somebody that I met uh, on that first internship, uh, said, why don't you go check out this place I, I cooked at in Italy. I was like, oh, great. I'd love to go live and work in Italy. So uh, on my second internship, I, I lived uh, in Italy for five months and uh, literally lived above the restaurant, you know, wake up in the morning, go downstairs, uh, cook for, for lunch service. Uh, just uh, as you expect with Italian culture, you'd have that uh, nice long uh, break in the middle of the day. So we'd go out and relax. Uh, and then come back and do uh, do dinner service, and uh, then go upstairs and uh, sleep and do it all over again. Um, but what, what that experience really taught me um, was, uh, you know, the, the fine dining aspect uh, to to a whole nother level. I mean, it was there was only 50 tables in the or 50 seats in the restaurant, uh, and we we're doing uh, you know very uh, intricate long meals where it doesn't sound like there was a lot of uh, uh, seats to serve, but when everybody's getting 10, 12 dishes, it turns into a lot with a very small uh, kitchen staff, uh, and, and loved it. I uh, came back to, to New York um, and uh, got a job at Jean George and um, you know, spent a year as a line cook at Jean George, starting out as a, a tornado or a roundsman in the Nougatine kitchen, and then worked uh, up into the uh, Jean George uh, uh, dining room kitchen. Uh, and during that time when I was there, uh, I kind of realized uh, I really like to cook. I'm really good at cooking, but I'm not going to be the next John George. I knew that. Uh, so I decided, why don't I just go back and get my uh, my full uh, education in, in restaurant management. I like the business of it. I want to understand more about it. So I went back and I did the uh, the business side of uh, restaurants. I had the culinary side figured out. I liked it. wasn't sure if that was a what I want to be doing when I'm 40 or 50 sitting behind a or standing behind a hot grill and <laughs> working that station. So uh, let me go back and at least just make sure I cover all my bases for the future. So I uh, went back to school, uh, got my bachelor's degree for food and beverage management. And when I was figuring out where to, I was going to go for my internship, um, I knew I was going to come back to New York City. And I was thinking to myself, well, uh, of all the places I've worked in New York so far, it's been in Midtown. I'm like, I, I want to work downtown somewhere. So let me go look at a, uh, at a group that has restaurants that are below, you know, 42nd Street. Uh, so I, I looked at Union Square Hospitality Group. Danny had a, a obviously a great name and great following. And, you know, at the time, Union Square Cafe, Gramercy Tavern, just like now, were, you know, top one and two in Zagat. Um, and uh, the other restaurants that we had, Tabla and 11 Madison Park, at, the, at that time were all, you know, highly rated and, at that time, Shake Shack wasn't even around. Uh, it was just a hot dog cart, and I had no idea that it was a hot dog cart or what was going on. So I applied to Union Square Hospitality Group, thinking, you know, great, I'd be somewhere downtown, and 
they, they bring me on as an internship, and they bring me on to go open the restaurants of the Museum of Modern Art in Midtown. And I'm like, oh, man, here I go. <laughs> Back to Midtown. I was trying to get out of Midtown. Uh, but it was an amazing experience. Uh, 2009, uh, we, or uh, no, sorry, 2004, um, the Museum of Modern Art was uh, just opening. So September 2004, I started and got to walk around the museum and see the artwork on the floor before it was hung and uh, see the whole place coming together. Um, as the final construction phases were happening and uh, really helped in in opening uh, the, the, the th uh, four different concepts that we had there, uh, the Modern, Cafe 2, Terrace 5, and uh, Staff Caf. Ultimately, when we opened up everything, I landed in working in the Modern, again, going back to my fine dining background. Uh, that's where I uh, felt most comfortable. That's where I wanted to be. And really at that time, it, my mind kept on saying, fine dining, fine dining, fine dining. That's what I did. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and that's what felt uh, most comfortable. So started working uh, as a floor manager uh, for the bar room part of the, the modern and uh, enjoyed doing that. Did that for uh, about a year. And uh, a unique opportunity came up while I was there that um, – we had a purchasing department, and uh, the two people that were running the purchasing department uh, were leaving, and the director of operations at the time, uh, Will Gadara, who's now the owner of 11 Madison Park and the Nomad, uh, he came to me, and he's like, you might be good at this. Why don't you uh, give this a shot? And I'm thinking to myself, eh, but uh, I'm doing uh, front of house. I'm liking this. It's different. It's fun. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it was a way for me to get back in touch with the food and and have an impact on the food while not being in the kitchen. So I thought, you know, this could be a really good good idea. And it also had a lot to do with the business side of, of restaurants, the numbers, the the sourcing, the, the, the quality of the food. So it hit on a bunch of aspects that were really in, uh, intriguing to me. So I was like, okay, let's give it a shot. And I remember like the day or two days before I started, um, and then it like kind of hit me like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to go take over the purchasing department, and I have no idea what I'm doing. I got inventory to do at the end of the month. I've never done this before on a big scale. Um, so the first few months were rough, uh, a lot of transition, a lot of figuring things out, uh, kind of picked up a mess in a way. Um, and had to had to sort through and dig through and figure out how to make it more efficient and and better for the the whole business, uh, and, and got a lot of good support in, in doing that. So spent about two and a half years, I think, um, doing that, or, or one and a half to two years doing that at, at MoMA, um, you know, for all the operations, what we called art food, and about you know a year and a half into it. I was like, okay, so what's my next step? You know, this is fun now, but I think we can do something more as a company. You know, we had all these restaurants that were they were buying from similar suppliers, different food, but similar suppliers. You know, what can we do to kind of harness all that spend together and, and you know, get a better price, get a better deal, and, and, you know, be at the top of the list for, for quality from everybody. So I reached out to uh, Randy Grudy, uh, our CEO of Shake Shack now. At the time, he was our uh, director of operations for Union Square Hospitality Group, uh, overseeing all of the, the restaurants. Uh, so I reached out to him saying, uh, you know, I think this uh, could be a good thing for, for the company. 
I'd be interested in trying to spearhead this. So we had some conversations, and um, I eventually came down to the corporate office to start doing uh, group purchasing for the for all of Union Square Hospitality Group, not just uh, the modern or, or the businesses at Museum of Modern Art. Um, and, and it's through that that I really started getting involved with Shake Shack. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities to to um, uh, get buying power with all of our different restaurants, but Shake Shack was the one where we saw that there could be a lot more opportunity there and that the it could really affect the business more so than the fine dining restaurants. Fine dining restaurants, when prices go up on one item, they can kind of maneuver menu mix around and, and make up for it in other places. Where Shake Shack, you know, we have a set menu. So when beef goes up, it's not easy to move to a fish item or to chicken or to pork, you know, to help kind of offset that. Uh, so it, it was a different strategy and a different outlook that we had to take to to work through that. Um, and also, we were just starting to really learn about the ingredients. There was no real overriding uh, chef of Shake Shack. Um, you know, most of our all of our fine dining restaurants are chef-driven restaurants. We have uh, world-renowned, amazing chefs running them that have their idea of what their food is. And yes, they love the help to get better pricing, but they also know what food they want. We're Shake Shack. We had a menu. Um, we have a culinary uh, team, but we didn't have that uh, that chef mentality where um, you, you couldn't look elsewhere. Uh, so I started getting more and more involved uh, with Shake Shack, and we I was involved in the second opening, uh, our Upper West Side opening in October 2008. Um, and, uh, you know, as well, the, our, our general manager that w was running uh, those two Shake Shacks was a colleague of mine from when we were at uh, MoMA and we opened together, so we had a good chemistry of working together. Um, and, you know, my, my voice was heard uh, with, with Shake Shack, so they were, they were open to hearing what ideas and, and thoughts I had. Um, so second one came, then involved in uh, – the third, the fourth, the fifth, when we opened Miami Beach Theater District, our Upper East Side Shake Shack, and um, I remember Randy coming to me and saying, "Hey, we might go to Dubai." I'm like, "Dubai? Why can't we get over okay. uh, the Hudson River to New Jersey first, where I live? So I don't need to come in here <laughs> on the weekends to get a Shack Burger. How are we going to go all the way over to Dubai before we go to uh, New Jersey?" So we started that project, and uh, we went from really not knowing a whole lot about our specs and our food to uh, a crash course in understanding everything you need to know about your your food uh, in order to understand what we can do on an international scale. Um, so this became very time-consuming and uh, uh, a lot of fun, and it took me away from what I was doing for the, the rest of the company. So you know, I was very lucky, and... and uh, Randy and uh, the management team offering me uh, one of the first positions as a, a corporate employee of Shake Shack. Um, mm -hmm. We were still just part of the Union Square Hospitality Group uh, management office. Um, and fast forward to now and all the openings that we've seen, uh, now oversee our supply chain, our quality assurance, our culinary uh, team. So I have a, a supply chain team, both for domestic and international 
uh, consists of uh, four individuals. Uh, I have a culinary team, a culinary director, and a culinary assistant, uh, and then a quality assurance manager. Uh, so really, you know, the, the fun thing now is we get to come up with the item, the, the menu item, the new ingredient, and see it all the way through from the sourcing of it, the food safety of it, the distribution, the pricing, the costing, uh, and how we're going to help put it into uh, operations and training's hands in order to roll it out to all of our Shake Shacks. So it's a, it's a really fun and exciting position that we're in now uh, and, and the growth that we have for our future. That's awesome. Thank you. That was a really great um, sort of overview of, of your background. I have tons of questions. <laughs> um, how do you I, – I think one of the reasons that Shake Shack has sort of resonated um, is that there is a sort of heritage of fine dining and customer service. So uh, how do you feel sort of Shake – for you, you're, you're there um, working with the staff sort of figuring out how you're going to open these new spaces and maintain this high level of quality? How do you feel your fine dining background informs um, the ex- explosive growth <laughs> at Shake Shack? Well, I think um, there's several of us in the in the company that came from that fine dining background. So Randy, our CEO, started in the fine dining. He worked in uh, he was general manager for Union Square Cafe in Tabla. Uh, Mark Rosati, our culinary director, he's uh, worked at Gramercy Tavern, so he has a fine dining background. Uh, several of us have that. So when we think about how we open and how we, we do things, we have a, a history and a mindset that we're working from that isn't your typical multi-unit chain mindset. So I think that gives us the advantage of breaking away from the norm of what other uh, companies might do. Um, and, and it's a great asset that we have uh, because we, we do look at it different, and, and it's always about quality first. If we're not going to love it and we're not going to feel proud about it, then why would we give it to anybody else to, to have? Uh, so really, I mean, it, it passes you know, a test right up front with us that if this doesn't feel great, if this doesn't feel like we would have one of our – fine dining chefs, uh, if it doesn't feel like we're going to have Danny come by and taste it and be wowed by it, then mm-hmm. we can't even move on to the next step from there. So, you know, it's, it's really about the, the quality first and, and that expectation of what it was like when we were, when we were working those, in the fine dining world. Right. Um, and I imagine that there must have been some sort of funny transitions of a bunch of guys who are probably used to, like, going to the green market and talking really directly with these uh, these sort of farmer suppliers in New York City and dealing in really small quantities. So how has that been sort of transitioning to what is ultimately a big supply chain and really different numbers, uh, smaller units of, uh, or smaller numbers of products? That's a great question. Um, it, you know, I think it, it's been great that we've brought in uh, – staff and especially people on my team that I work with that have come from the other side where they bring that experience and then I use that experience that they have and kind of put it through the lens that I have of, of fine dining. So, you know, it's a it's kind of a, a give and take and a, a little bit of a, I don't want to say power struggle, but, you know, there's the 
how can we do this in a very efficient supply chain oriented manner? And then how can we do this with that quality driven first uh, mindset? So having that experience inserted into our, our teams, I think has helped us in, in making those decisions. Um, so, you know, for me, going out of the green market, uh, we, we know isn't possible for everywhere that we are, <laughs> but okay, we, if we can't do it out of the green market, how can we just work with great producers? Because there's great producers all over the U.S. They're not just in the Hudson Valley or, or New Jersey or Pennsylvania, whoever's supplying the Union Square green market. It's how do we find all those great suppliers everywhere in the U.S. that could work with us in our uh, different local regional markets. Yeah. And the, those, those people that came in who had sort of more traditional uh, global supply chain experience, has any of that knowledge sort of transformed the way that the broader restaurant group is doing business? The the whole Shake Shack business or Union Square Hospitality? Union Square Hospitality Group, yeah. We're, we're very separate. Um, the, yeah. the restaurants, the fine dining restaurants, they're still going to do what they do best, and that is working with uh, a lot of small suppliers that are going to be the best at giving them one or two ingredients. Um, that that doesn't that formula doesn't need to change and can't change. That's what makes them so great. It's how can we take that new experience and better our formula for Shake Shack and and be better at what we do in all of the decisions that we make every day. Right. Um, I think you sort of mentioned it a little bit, some of the, the benefits and challenges of having a small menu. Um, so I'd be curious to hear, now that your title includes menu innovation, <laughs> uh, what, when you're dealing with, uh, how, I don't know how many, I'm trying to think of how many items the Shake Shack menu has, but let's say in the, in the sort of realm of 20 to 30 things, um, a lot of modifications of burgers and, and fries and shakes. Um, what have been sort of the surprising challenges of having that small menu and what, what has been really great about that small menu from a big sourcing perspective? Well, I think the, the, one of the beauties is that the menu is deceivingly uh, small. It, it's, it's actually not <laughs> that small. <laughs> um, we have our core menu, which uh, is, is standard in all of our Shake Shacks, uh, and there's a very small core ingredient list uh, that we work on but we do have so many artisanal local suppliers that we work with in, in so many markets. So uh, we may buy 55 or 60 core ingredients that every shack needs, but then throughout the year between our custard calendar flavors, our holiday specials, we're looking at 300, 400 plus additional specialty items uh, for those for those specials, um, you know, in, in New York we have uh, different bakers that we work with. Uh, we have our, the chocolate makers that we work with. We might have different beverage uh, companies that, that we uh, buy from, different sausage makers. Uh, so you know, we we the menu doesn't look big, but in order for it to be uh, um, you know, part of each community, which we want to be actively part of the community and and support their uh, 
local great artisanal makers. We're buying ingredients from them. Um, so, you know, we kind of look at it in, in supply chain, we're looking at it two ways. What are the main items that are, are the business drivers and uh, are, are items that we're buying day in and day out? Those have major impact. And then what are all those other great other items, ingredients that we're buying that have uh, such a good impact from, from flavor and from being part of the community that we want to incorporate in our, our buying in those different markets. Yeah. Um, I do. I want to come back to the sort of big products, but I think it would be really interesting to hear about um, one of the cities that you launched in and how you went about finding that sort of additional local flavors. Uh, and then how do you balance someone that's small and great and has a wonderful product, but figuring out can they really, can they consistently provide us with, uh, you know, 70 key lime hives to put into a shake. Um, So that's probably the best job that our culinary director has, is he gets to go and take trips to new markets. Um, I'll give you an example. We have uh, Austin, Texas opening uh, soon, and he's gone down there and eaten through the city. So he'll go down and he'll uh, search out barbecue places, uh, pie makers, chocolate makers, uh, or a- anything that's unique to a certain market, um, he'll go down and he'll taste his way through. So he gets to eat out, dine out, go to uh, different pie shops and, and eat his way through through Austin to determine what are the right ones that are going to fit on our menu and be Shake Shack but also be our collaboration with the Austin market. Um, Then he'll come back to us to supply chain, and this is why it's nice that we're all one department, uh, and we can work through the the logistics of the supply chain pieces, how we get it to the Shake Shack, how we, what the cost is, can it work for us, uh, quality assurance side of it. I mean, most important, we want to make sure we're serving uh, safe uh, quality ingredients, um, and that you know, a supplier can keep up with the volume if it's going to be a big hit. Uh, so, so that's a a piece that we want to vet and understand in advance. Is okay. You know, it might be small now, but we could have more shacks. We could use it in more locations. Are you willing to? Do you want to? Uh, can you grow with us in, in this market? Um, so that I, I like that. You know, we're all one department working towards the same goal uh, of trying to get these great items into our shacks. Right. Um, the, I think the small, the sort of small, the small, the, the local beers and the sort of local add-ins really um, are why people love Shake Shack and get really excited because they feel like it's part of the community. Um, on the other side of that, you know that you need to have those delicious potato buns and you need to have a lot of beef and a lot of dairy. Um, so I think for me it's really interesting. It would be interesting to hear what you've seen sort of transitioning in the space because I know Shake Shack does commit to um, certainly high quality and sort of varying levels of sustainability, and that can mean different things to a lot of different people, particularly in the restaurant industry. Um, so how do you how do you go about securing these sort of really big uh, these partnerships with I think Beef is a nice example because 
do 100% all natural Angus beef, no antibiotics. Um, how has that sort of in that space grown uh, since you you started the empire that is Shake Shack? Uh, beef is a good example to use. Um, so, you know, go back to when we first were opening uh, Shake Shack, one location, not a whole lot of volume, worked very closely with our uh, New York City supplier, Pat Lafreda Meats, uh, to help identify what would be best for, for Shake Shack. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't involved at that time, so I don't. I wasn't in the room when that original Shake Shack blend was being uh, made. Um, but I do know that over time, uh, particularly over the last uh, six years, um, we really dug in and understood where our beef is coming from. So for for me, I get to travel to you know the different parts of uh, the Midwest and go see the the ranches that the uh, cattle are being procured from, the feedlots that the cattle are are going through, and, and ultimately the harvesting facilities where where the uh, raw material comes out of. And you know we've gotten to build relationships with these uh, with these companies and, and these uh, you know the people that are out there. I, I've ridden around in uh, this, um, this guy's pickup truck through Kansas going from farm to farm where he's showing me how he goes and he looks at uh, which cattle he's going to choose uh, from this particular farmer or that particular farmer. You know, they have certain criteria, and, and it's letting them know that it's important, the decisions that they're making, because ultimately that's what gets to our uh, you know our, our griddles, and that's the beef that we're cooking. So by them knowing that, that we have a passion and a desire to have the best and that that gets heard by the farmers, that makes them feel great about where their beef is going. Um, you know, it's easy to, in looking at the beef commodity world, to commoditize it and forget that you know, there are quality parameters that, that we're looking for. Uh, you know, we want that never, ever, no homo, no antibiotic beef that's humanely raised. Um, and coming from people that are doing the right thing with their farms, with their land, um, and, and you know treating everything with the right kind of respect. So, you know, for beef, this has been you know an ongoing uh, uh, project that they'll never end. I mean, we're always going to be looking right. into new sources, new supplies, and just further understanding. You know, beyond our borders here. We've also gone out to Australia to look at what they're doing um, and, and the supply that we can get there for our international markets uh, and some other international countries for our international business. Um, so it, it spreads just beyond these borders where we really want to get down and understand where that beef is coming from. Um, and any supplier that we work with, we want to go see them. You know, it's always great to get face-to-face -face contact to get to shake the hand of the people making your food. Um, so whether it's your produce or your buns or your cheese, we want to go see those places. Um, you know, I, I love going on factory tours now. I go get to see how all different items are made, and it's just a, such a cool thing to really see and understand how the food system uh, is, is made in the U.S. and then how we can better it. So, you know, the example of our of our buns and working closely with our potato bun supplier has gotten us to the point where we now have non-GMO buns. I have no idea if they were ever going to do that without us asking or, or, or pushing, but 
you know, we had to achieve this for our international markets. And we said, well, if we can achieve it for the international market, why can't we achieve it for the U.S. market? So let's do it for the U.S. market. And took a little bit of time. Uh, they're not easy things to happen overnight, but we finally accomplished it. And, and we're so proud that we now are able to serve non-GMO buns in our shack. Yeah, that's awesome. And how does that sort of how does that partnership work? Do you do you have um, guidelines that are sort of sent out to all of your suppliers that say these are the things that we're aiming for? This is what we like, or is it really sort of a one-on-one speaking to each as many of your suppliers in person as possible? Or do, do right you, now, do you have a scorecard? Yeah. Yeah, right now it's more of that one-on-one conversation, um, mm-hmm. and that will that will always be the case because it, again, it, it's all about the relationship. You know, you can send out a scorecard or a document to fill out, but unless you can get on the phone or sit down at a table or sit down over a shack burger at a shack and really discuss it, it's not going to have the same meaning. Um, but you know, we are getting to the point where we do want to have more of that documented, what does this really mean for us? And, uh, you know, in doing that process, you have to ask yourself a lot of hard questions, and that's what we're going through is, you know, thinking about all the different criteria that we want to uh, to ask ourselves and want to ask of our suppliers. Right. And who who's at that table right now when you're talking about um, whether it's sustainability or quality, whatever sort of you're giving that conversation, um, who's involved in figuring out um, what's going to align with the business as a whole? Uh, it's, a, it's an internal conversation and an external conversation. Um, just recently, we had a meat supplier in to meet with us and ha- hear from their side um, what it means. Um, you know, we want the, the input of the, the producers that we're working with to, to help shape and guide the, uh, the policy or, or, or um, uh, guide that, that we're, we're putting together. So, you know, we have our own internal, um, you know, ways to think about it. We always look towards our stand for something good. So, you know, we, mm-hmm. in that we talk about our food and how it, we want to serve better food. Um, and within, we're using that as a, a a baseline, and also working with their suppliers and seeing how they can give us information. Right. I, I certainly think this the sort of the quality of the food that Shake Shack is committing to and is purchasing is becoming more popular for sort of the average American. Hopefully, um, increasing abroad as well. Are you finding? Are you finding that sort of your your pool of suppliers is ahead of you or are you sort of do you feel like you have to be really involved in um in supporting the sort of transition from a more conventional commoditized agriculture to something that is a little bit more aligned with Stanford Stanford good? Uh, I I think there there's several companies out there, uh, us included, that are pushing for uh a better source of food and through through us and these other companies, it's it's all going to help us and the whole supply chain of food. Um, it, it can't just be one person that that's going to change it. It's going to have to take more than 
uh, you know, one company or one person. Um, and, you know, we, we say all boats rise with the tide. So, you know, if, as we ask for things and as other people, other companies ask for, for better production methods or, or better handling methods, better animal care, that's going to just drive the industry towards that because there's a market for it. They're going to produce for a market that is existing. If there's enough of us that want it, they're going to meet that demand. So, you know, if it was to happen just overnight, it would be very difficult, but it's a, it's a gradual increase and, you know, constantly communicating and working with our, our supply base and suppliers to let them know this is what we're going for. This is our growth. This is what we plan on doing. This is what we want you to provide, and this is how we want you to get better with it at the same time. And if you've built those relationships correctly from the beginning, then you're going to get there over time. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the next sort of trend in sustainable sourcing in the food system is going to be since you, you have your ear to the ground? everyone talking about in the internal meeting. Um, I, think, I think there's going to be more and more push on the on the protein side, um, the, mm -hmm. to what's going on with, with natural beef, natural pork, natural chicken, uh, eggs, um, dairy. Uh, I can see more going uh, that direction uh, as well. I mean. You know, we want to always make sure that we're sourcing RBGH, RBST uh, free uh, fluid dairy for for the shack. Um, and right. you know, the more that we ask for that, and the more that other uh, companies ask for for that, or for uh, cage-free eggs, or for uh, hogs that are raised uh, without gestation crates, it's going to keep on pushing the industry uh, to to better themselves. Um, and uh, you know, there's the the, the debate over uh, how GMOs play into the crops that we grow, um, and uh, you know, the, with companies asking to not have those, it's going to create a demand for for more of those items that aren't grown uh, in that manner. Uh, this has been really interesting for me. I'm going to ask Stephanie if anyone wants to. Jump in with questions. I have I have a ton more, and I could keep bugging you, but I do want to let the callers chime in if there's anything. Sure, thanks, Mariana. So, um, if anyone on the line would like to ask Jeff a question, please press five star on your phone, and I will unmute you um, and let you know when you can ask. And again, that's five star. And Jeff, just related to this conversation, while we wait to see if there are questions. Um, you know, I think it's great, as you said, if, if every company is really asking for better sustainable practices and pushing suppliers, it's naturally going to push the industry. Are you talking with your collaborators, your competitors, let's say, about this? Are you all working together as a consortium to kind of go to suppliers with some common interest? Or is it really just happening in silos and it's kind of moving the, the dial that way? I think it kind of happens indirectly. No, I don't. I'm not part of a, a group that we get together, but um, I do know of other, uh, I do know of people and other like-minded companies, and, you know, we talk, and we know that we're buying from the same companies. I mean, uh, you know, companies use us as uh, marketing or, or other major chains that, that have really great uh, food 
um, policies in place as marketing. So we know who each other is, is using, and you know it's through that that I think the the suppliers are, are realizing that you know if we're supplying to Shake Shack and to this grocer and to this other chain that you know these guys are all all growing and they're leading the industry so here's a, a good market for us to be working with and selling to so it, it's it's kind of an indirect thing now and, and i do think over time we 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 can get together probably in a better way and try to drive this forward together as an industry and as a group better than maybe individuals just working on their own. Absolutely. Well, thank you for the background, just how it's, how it's moving at this point, and perhaps there will be a more organized group. Um, so we do have quite a few questions coming in on the line. Um, I'm going to mute the first caller, and this is number 617-695-2525. You can go forward with your question. Hi, thank you. Um, so I'm Shuo from uh, Valley the Meal, um, and you know it was really interesting to hear about you talking about you know whether you're working in collaboration, um, you know, indirectly. I, I was also wondering, you know, about competition. So, for instance, the biggest burger joint in the world is McDonald's, and you know it is the single largest purchaser of beef in the U.S. and you know, as a result, wields enormous influence over the supply chain, um, including the quality of beef from, you know, I imagine most suppliers in the U.S. So I guess my question is, if McDonald's sourced beef ethically, would it change how accessible high-quality beef is for you, and would it enable, you know, you as well as more sustainable corporation um, companies to um, expand sustainable practices in its businesses more rapidly? I think if they did that, it would it would take time for this for the whole chain, the supply chain of beef to to change and uh, and be able to keep up with their volume. But they have such a big influence that they can make that change faster than say us. Um, so it, it's it would be a a longer term project to happen, but it would be a good thing to happen because they do have that, that weight to and, and that buy to move an industry in a way. And, you know, they, they recently had that um, uh, release about what they're doing with their chicken over the next few years, and that's all great things for, for uh, you know, the way that the, the poultry industry uh, can be raised. So, you know, we, we see those things happen, and, you know, if they – did it overnight, uh, it would make my life very difficult probably, uh, but hopefully if they do it over time and in the right way and in the right setting, uh, it can help the industry as a whole uh, in a positive manner. Thank you. Great. Um, now we have another question. I'm going to unmute caller 212-924-8262. Uh, hi, my name is Gilles Mizorobi, and I'm one of the professors um, at Bard. And um, I have a question about labor. Labor costs is a major factor in the restaurant business, and fast food workers are, have been getting a lot of news lately about um, sustainable wages and sustainable uh, labor. How does that fit into your picture? Because it is part of the larger sustainability model, I think. Um, it's a good question. I do know – well, this is what I know. I we pay well above 
what the um, or what the minimum is in most places, and uh, you know pride ourselves in in, in having a good uh, entry wage into the fine casual, fast casual uh, dining segment. Um, it does add you know the complexity of how you balance it with offering a value to our guest coming in. Mm-hmm. We want to give a great value of our uh, of our food, so. By sourcing higher quality ingredients, there's a higher cost to it. By paying a, a better living wage, there's a cost to that that we need to fit into the model and create a, a good value proposition for our guests coming in the door and buying our Shack Burger fries uh, and shake. Um, but as well as, as uh, you know, fitting into the making it a great business move and decision for us. So. You know, one way that that we can do that is through our our uh, shack dollars that we do with our team by uh, you know team members that have been part of Shake Shack for uh, a certain period of time and more. They uh, benefit from one percent of our our sales distributed through their their paycheck uh, for the shifts that they work. So it's a great a great and sustainable model of, of getting them more money for showing their dedication to working hard in our shacks. And do you think it's part of the value proposition for the consumer, or can it be part of the value proposition for the consumer? Oh, absolutely, I think it can be. I mean, I think the the value proposition is that you have a, a, a friendlier, happier, uh, more interacting staff that, that's serving the guests and, and creating a better environment. So, you know, they're seeing it through just the experience that you get of going to Shake Shack. Um, you know, you're, you're coming in is not just about getting great food at the Shack, but it's about the experience. And the experience starts with having a great team that is going to show that to the guests coming in. That's great. Thank you. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. That's actually that's the, sort of the, the core of why I love um, setting the table so much, Danny Meyer's management book, and the I think it's the reason that Union Square Hospitality Group has done so well in New York is um, if you commit to you commit to your people, it's just a better place to be. And I think eating food is not merely transactional. You want to have a good time doing it. So I think it's really a testament to, to the entire restaurant crew at Shake Shack. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's so many great restaurants, but you can have a great meal and not a great experience. You're always going to remember the experience at the end of the meal, though. So when you come to to Shake Shack, you feel that experience when you walk in our doors. You're going to leave raving about the food, but you're also going to leave raving about the experience because it's unlike any other experience you'd get at a similar type of restaurant. Yes, it absolutely is. (laughs) You're right. I love Shake Shack. This is Stephanie chiming in. And we have, it looks like, some more questions. Um, The next one, I think, is Eben Goodstein, who's director of the program. (laughs) Eben, I'm going to unmute you. Thank you. This has been a great conversation, and thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to learn about Shake Shack. Um, So my question is is expanding on what Jill was talking about, uh, and I'm wondering whether the supply, uh, whether you look at labor issues in the supply chain as well. We've talked a lot about quality you know, uh, food production. Um, in, do, do labor issues figure into your supply chain decisions at all? 
Uh, absolutely, and that's why I think it's important to go see the suppliers and where your product is made and walk the floor of where your beef is coming from, where your buns are coming from, uh, where your, your lettuce is grown. It's important to, to see that with, with your own eyes. Um, and, and, you know, we do go obviously to these places, uh, not just because we want to sit in a boardroom and, uh, and talk about numbers or, or see where they're located, but to, to see the, the environment that the, our, our food is coming from, uh, whether it's uh, the, the food safety environment or the uh, human safety uh, environment. We want to make sure that we feel good about those types of uh, uh, places. And, um, you know, I've seen places, not, not in, the, in the U.S., but outside the U.S., uh, where we walked out and I'm like, I, I just don't think this is uh, the right place to be buying from. It didn't, didn't feel right. The workers didn't look happy. Um, and cleanliness wasn't there. So, you know, we, we have that, that audit process uh, to make sure that we can confidently feel good about our supply chain. Thank you. That's great. Excellent. Thank you for the question, Eben. Um, we have, I believe, one more, um, and this is with phone number 720-201-5770. You can go Hi. Ahead. Yeah, thank you. Um, my name is Madeline. Um, I own a small company out in um, eastern Long Island and do just like specialty food picnics and stuff. And um, my biggest issue is food costs because I am, you know, like um, kind of Union Square and um, Hospitality Group as a whole and, you know, Shake Shack. I'm so much um, kind of um, quality is a huge thing for me and buying, you know, hyper-locally and all this. So I was wondering with you guys, you have so many moving parts, of, you know, across the globe with all your different chains. How do you deal with food costs? you know, not only in different states, but in different countries, um, especially, you know, with the quality-driven kind of um, product that you're going for, and as well as obviously labor costs too. How do you stay with a consistent sort of like food cost um, margin? <laughs> That's the challenge every day. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't – there is no magic answer to that. I think, um, you know, over time uh, – I've, as maybe you heard me explain before, I've grown a team that helps me manage that because um, it's just not possible for one person to do or two people to do on the scale that we do it now. Um, so I have a team that, that helps me uh, make decisions on what we're going to, to buy and how we're going to move uh, product around. Um, so, you know, it's, it's trying to find the best Ingredients first. It's always number one is, is what's the best ingredient, what's the best quality for us, and then how can we fit it into our our costing model? What do we need to do to make sure that that it fits into, you know, the the right price point? Because once you price yourself out, then you can't go backwards. Um, yeah. So it's certainly a challenge, and you know, uh, on a global scale, it's working with our international partners. Uh, we have an international partner, and they have a, a team and. Um, it, it's working with them to to make the right decisions for for the business and and decide what, what's the best way and the best price 
for this food that we're going to serve. Um, it's certainly not easy, and it, it's, uh, it's a lot of time and effort and uh, number crunching to, to figure it out. But, you know, it always comes back at the end of the day is, is this the best quality product that we can serve our guests? Because if it isn't, mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter what price you're getting it at. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. Great. Thank you for your question. Um, Jeff and Mariana, it looks like we don't have any other questions on the line. If anyone else is interested, do press five star at this time as we're going to wrap up shortly. Um, But in the meantime, Mariana, if you want to ask a few more questions, I know you have quite a few, and it's been a great conversation. I do. It has been a great conversation. I I really appreciate all the questions that came in as well. Um, This is sort of a a final one. Um, As now, Director of Menu Innovation, if you could add any menu item to Shake Shack, uh, the supply chain is super easy, the price is totally right, what would be your sort of dream big rollout uh, for Shake Shack all over the world? If uh, anybody on my culinary team was listening, they would know my answer already, <laughs> but I love a good fried pickle. <laughs> it's right. so simple and it's so good. Um, I don't know if that will ever make it on the menu, but I love a good fried pickle. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it the issue with pickles or is it just sort of doesn't fit into No, I mean we we memory. I I could we could totally make that I think. Um I, I we we've played around with it. We we've had other items in the in the kitchen and I I'm like, "All right, I'm going to go grab a pickle. I'm going to go put it in this batter. I'm going to go throw it in the fryer and I do and it tastes great." <laughs> um I just don't know if it's the right thing that we need on the menu right now, but I know I I love a fried pickle. <laughs> right. Is it, is that going to be worth an extra few hours every day of your life, making sure that you get the yeah. right pickles and the right batter everywhere. Um, that's awesome. Stephanie, are there any more callers? Or? Well, first of all, that Please. sounds delicious. And <laughs> now I want yeah. them. Um, <laughs> no, we don't have anyone else um, with questions on the line, but Jeff, I have one for you um, as we kind of wrap up here. Um, you know, as we are, you know, mo- a lot of the callers here and inter- interested parties um, have backgrounds with Masters of Business Administration, um, specifically ours that focuses on sustainability. Could you talk a little bit about how you think people with those kind of backgrounds would add value to a company like Shake Shack? Um, it, yeah, I, I've had a few um, MBA uh, people at work for me, and one of them um, – uh, isn't with me anymore. He he actually is the um, the, the CEO of the Natural Gourmet Institute. But you know he brought when I hired him, um, he brought a really great sustainability lens to to the company. And even though we had that fine dining look, um, his background was also uh, from an egg farming family. So he had an, an agriculture side. Uh, that that he brought to us. And it really helped me in the time that I spent working with him uh, shape how I look at working with farmers. Um, Because I'm from North Jersey. I don't don't know farming. Um, But to hear and understand, um, you know, somebody that's passionate about, um, uh, about food and that, you know, was an MBA for, for, for business and for food, um, he brought that that great experience and, and vision to us, and, and to me in particular, that's kind of stuck with me uh, to, to now. And I, I I think about conversations that we've had, um, and, and it's helped me, you know, think about decisions differently than I may have without having spoken to somebody with that background and experience. 
That's really great, and I appreciate the, the specific example versus general um, recommendations for folks. That's great. Uh, Mariana, did you want to wrap up with a question or anything before we, we call it for the day? I'm just dreaming about fried pickles now. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Yeah, exactly. Lunchtime. Um, yeah, no, it's been a really it's been a really wonderful call. I think totally interesting, and I'm so excited to see what happens um, with that that big bit of news that's happening with Shake Shack right now that we couldn't get into for for legal reasons. But congratulations, I think. Thank you. Only only amazing things are coming down the pipe. So glad, glad we got to talk to you today. Thank you. I appreciate your time. My pleasure doing this. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And everyone on the call, you can join us next Friday at noon for a conversation with Yorina Mujitsa, who is Managing Director of Market Innovation at the Natural Resources Defense Council. So thank you all for being a part of today's conversation, for the great questions, and especially to Mariana and Jeff. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.